0: Manny, come on up. Okay. He's going to give us the word tonight. Oh, cool. I <laughs> no, I do not. That was a lot of announcements. Yeah, I, know. I think I have a whole five minutes left for the message. <laughs> yeah, every, they're, see, they're clapping for me. <laughs> clapping because I did the announcements. I think they're clapping for you to go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I am finishing up a uh, chapter four, which Dave started last week. Also, my name is Manny, if you don't know me. I have the privilege of uh, serving here at Calvary Chapel Old Town. Uh, So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get into it. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you that you are good, Lord. We thank you that you are holy. Uh, We ask that you bless this time, that you move us, Lord, um, to conviction, to healing, to restoration, Lord. That you comfort those that need comforting, Lord. And God, we just thank you for having a place where we can safely come together and worship you, Lord. So thank you for this time. Thank you for this people, and I ask that your word be glorified in this place. Your name, pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're starting at verse eight of chapter four in Second Kings. That was a backwards way of saying Second Kings four eight. Um, so we'll start now. It happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please, let us make a small upper room on the wall, and let us put a bed for him there, and a table, and a chair, and a lampstand. So it will be, whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. So let's pause right there. So... The story mentions this woman in the city of Shunem, uh, and it calls her a notable woman. Now, here notable means that she has wealth, but notable uh, implies some other attributes that she has, which we'll talk about. The first that we see is that the woman is very hospitable. In fact, she, it says, persuaded Elisha to eat some food. Elisha didn't come by and ask to have some food, but the woman persuaded him uh, because she wanted to serve him. And in fact, her hospitality led her to ask her husband to build a room on top of their house, specifically for Elisha in his travels. But in this part of the text, the most notable thing about her is her awareness of the spiritual. It says that she sees Elisha as a holy man of God. She understands who Elisha is. He's not some traveler, but specifically he is a holy man of God. And what a testimony would it be to be seen as a holy man of God or a holy woman of God. But in fact, we as believers are called to holiness. In First Peter 1, 15 and 16, it says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. So you see, we have the charge to also be holy. Because God is holy, but it's not for our glory. It's not for our gain. It's not for any of any of us. Um, but rather, it's for God's glory. Because it says in Hebrews twelve fourteen, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see God. So your striving for holiness is not again for yourself, but rather it's a testimony to God and His holiness. And so we'll continue in verse 11 of Second uh, Kings. It says, and it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite woman. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. So he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. So he said, call her. When he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, You shall embrace a son. And she said, No, my lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her. So Elisha wants to bless this woman. He's received a room, he's received food every time he passes through the city. And Elisha, in turn, wants to bless the woman. In fact, he offers to speak on her behalf to the king and the commander of the army, two of the most powerful men in the land. But she has an interesting answer. She says, I dwell among my own people. She doesn't say, yeah, that sounds great, ask for this, or I know I want something else. She just says, I dwell among my own people. What she's saying is that she's set. She has her people to take care of her. She is in want of nothing. She is content. And in fact, I see this as another notable attribute of the Shunammite woman, that she is content in her situation. And contentment is something that we as believers should also strive for. Paul says in his first letter to Timothy, Now, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these We shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So, Paul here gives us a reason to. Strive for contentment, but he also gives us a warning for discontent. He uses the love of money as a root of all kinds of evil. And while this woman has money, she is not evil, for obviously the money is not evil, it's the root, the love of money that is the root of all evil. And this woman is content in her situation, and really, this is a great example of how we too shall live our lives, whatever our situation may be, whether it's in wealth or um, not wealth, in poorness, uh, whether we have much or we have little, we are to be content for we have the greatest thing, which is the Lord. We have Christ. And this woman is content, but we also see that Elisha still seeks to bless the woman. He asked Gehazi, uh, what can we do for her? And Gehazi Tells him she has no son and her husband is old. Um, So the woman has been barren and her husband is close to death, closer to death than not. And so Elisha promises this woman a son to embrace by the same time next year. And so in 18, we see the child growing and says, and the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. And he said to his father, my head, my head. So he said to a servant, "Carry him to his mother." When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him, and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, "Please, send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back." So he said, why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, "It is well." Then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, "Drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you." What heartbreak she must be going through, uh, The loss of a child, the loss of a child that she didn't ask for, but God miraculously provided um, through Elisha. In, telling her that she'd be pregnant. But she reacts curiously. There's no grieving or wailing on her behalf. She takes the child, her dead son, and lays him on the bed of Elisha, on the bed of the holy man, it says, the man of God. And she shut the door, and then she went out. And then it says that she called her husband and asked for a donkey and a young man to um, help lead it. So she can go see Elisha. And the husband is asking, well, it's not the new moon. It's not the Sabbath. So why are you going to see him? And the woman simply says, it is well. This woman doesn't seem to be preparing for a funeral. She really seems to be preparing for a miracle. She seems to be expectant that the Lord is going to do something. That this man of God will do something. And we also see when she says to the servant, drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. We see this woman is determined to see Elisha. We see that she is determined to see um, something for her son. Uh, And clearly, again, she's not getting ready for a funeral. She laid the the boy up, and she didn't say anything to her husband. She didn't say, the boy is dead. I'm going to go try to get him back or anything, she just lays him in, closes the door, and goes to see Elisha. And it says in 25, continuing on, it says, And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, it is well. We'll pause right there. Again, this woman is not telling Gehazi everything that's happening. She's not just laying out her heart. She replies by saying again, it is well. At this point, the woman really seems to be at peace um, with what's happening. And today, it's no different. Life can be very difficult. We see tragedies. We see death. We see heartache. We see heartbreak. Um, We see relationships destroyed in our own lives. But we can have peace. We can have peace through God. John 16.33 says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So no matter what's going on, as believers we have this promise that In God, we have peace. And that's something we can rely on all the time, because again, that's something God has promised to us. And so now we see in verse 27 Now, when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Hazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So she said, Did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and he followed her. So the woman comes to Elisha, and she falls at his feet. And Gehazi, the servant, um, tries pulling her away, but Elisha sees her pain. He notices her pain, and he tells Gehazi, let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress. And this is something that I often have trouble with. Um, is seeing and noticing that pain in other people. Um, And that's something that we need to be on the lookout so we can pray with others, so we can be a comfort to others, um, so we can provide that peace that we have through God unto others. And in verse 31, it says, Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing, Therefore, he went back to meet him and told him, saying, the child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, there was a child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite woman. So he called her, and when she came in, he said, Pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. So Elisha sends the staff ahead with Gehazi. Gehazi Goes and tries to lay the staff on the child, but the child does not come back to life. There's no stirring. And he tells Elisha as such, the child has not awakened. Now, it's not clear why, if Elisha knew it would work or why he sent the staff ahead of himself. Um, But ultimately, what this shows is that our trust is not in objects. It's not in the staff of the holy man. Um, It's not even in men or other men. Um, But in fact, our trust should be solely in God and his power alone. Because God alone has the power to restore. So Elisha does some interesting things, it seems like. He lays on the child, puts his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched him out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. It really seems like he's, there's some symbolism here with putting his mouth on his mouth and giving breath to the child. His eyes on his eyes, giving vision. Hands on his hands, giving strength. And stretching himself, giving life into the child um, through God's power. And then he goes, walks back and forth, walks back and forth, and gets up and does the same thing again. The child sneezes seven times. um, Seven being in the Bible, the number of completion And the child opens his eyes. The child comes back to life. So here God has restored this boy back to life. And Elisha says to the woman, pick up your son. And this is just a beautiful picture because Elisha started blessing the woman by saying, by this time next year, you will have a son. You will be embracing your son. And now the boy has died later on. And Elisha's telling her once again, embrace your son. And the, the story doesn't say, our text doesn't say, but I can't help but wonder that this boy's life is marked. How can he not be changed by this incident? Inc- inc- this incident? He was dead and now he's alive. There's no way he's going to go on with life and not recognize that as a miracle. And how much he would talk about that. But continue on in 38, there are some other miracles that happen. Um, And, yeah, in 38. And Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in the land. Now the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, and he said to his servant, put on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. So one went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it a lapful of wild gourds and came and sliced them into the pot of stew, though they did not know what they were. Then they served it to the men to eat. Now it happened as they were eating the stew that they cried out and said, man of God, there is death in the pot and they could not eat it. So he said, then bring some flour. And he put it into the pot and said, serve it to the people that they may eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. So we'll stop right there. Yeah. <clears throat> so this is a different story, but Elisha is with these sons of the prophets. There's a famine in the land, so obviously they're pretty hungry. So they go out, they gather herbs. And one of the men gathered some uh, poisonous herbs, not knowing what they were, um, This is a great way to never have to cook again. Um, But we should try not to do this. Um, But he gathers these herbs and he puts them in the pot. And they start cooking. And whether by taste or smell, they recognize that this is a deadly herb. And they say there is death in the pot and they could not eat it. So Elisha does something interesting. He says, then bring some flour. And he puts the flour into the pot. Now I don't think the flower had any scientific properties that it was special. Elisha knew that it was going to neutralize the poisons. Um, The flower is really a physical representation of the miracle that's being done. Uh, Similar to how Jesus used mud to heal the blind or even spit. Um, Obviously, those are not prescriptions to how to heal blind men. This is not a prescription to how to depoison your stew. Uh, This is simply a description. But Elisha puts the flower into the pot. And he says, serve it to the people that they may eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. But, I mean, who would want to volunteer for the first one to eat that? <laughs> um, but this, this stew, the poison stew and the flour, <clears throat> I think is a wonderful representation of our world today. You know, we're surrounded by poison. We're surrounded by hate, by disunity, by division. But... We're called to, in this sense, to be the flower, to be the flower in the pot. Matthew 5.16 says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. So it's easy to be surrounded by um, evil stews, but go out and be the flower in the world. Be be the good thing. (laughs) And in 42, it says, um, there's another miracle, and it says, Then a man came from Baal Shalisha and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley bread, and newly ripened grain in his knapsack. And he said, Give it to the people that they may eat. But his servant said, What? Shall I set this before 100 men? He said again, Give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. So this man comes and brings 20 loaves of bread. Um, but we see that there are 100 men. And so if you do the math, 20 does not equal 100. So there's not enough bread for all of the men. Um, now... Obviously, the first thing we're going to think of is the miracles that Jesus did later on a couple times with the 4,000 and 5,000 and feeding them. Um, But in this case, what's interesting to me is that it says that he brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, specifically the type of bread that he brought. This man didn't bring his leftovers. This man didn't bring um, whatever he could find. This man brought the first fruits. And this is a reminder for us, uh, for me, really, To bring the first fruits in everything that we do and everything that I do. Whether that's uh, time or effort, um, in setting those things aside and giving to the Lord, um, financial and everything, giving to the Lord the first fruits, not just whatever's left over at the end of the day, whenever I can spare it. uh, But really, the Lord deserves our very best, our first fruits. So we have these miracles. That happened in chapter 4. We have uh, last week Dave talked about the woman and the oil and the outpouring of the oil. Then we saw the Shunammite woman with her son being raised to life. We saw the spicy stew. And we saw the um, 20 loaves of bread. Now these miracles legitimize Elisha as a prophet. But more importantly, these miracles were done through Elisha by God. They are another example of his power. Um, in this time, his glory. And so, I think it's important that we remember that it's not through us, it's not through our power, it's not through anything that we do, but solely through the Lord, we are able to accomplish these things. We are to go out and be seen as holy Strive to be seen as holy. Strive to be seen as a holy man or woman of God. Strive to be content in all of our situations, whatever that may be. Strive to be single-minded. We saw the woman being single-minded in pursuing Elisha and trying to be with him. But we should be single-minded in pursuing Christ in everything that we do. We should be determined to glorify him. Having peace in all situations. Being able to say it is well when the storm rages around us. And being able to see others in their pain and be a comfort unto them. So go out and be holy. Go out and pursue Christ. Be single-minded in your pursuit of him. And be the flower in this world that we need. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come together. Lord, we thank you that you are holy. We thank you for the call for us to be holy, Lord. We ask for those opportunities this week, Lord, to be examples of your goodness, to be examples of your grace and your mercy, Lord. We ask that you give us opportunities to be the flower, Lord, in a world surrounded with hate, Lord, just spewing poison. Father, we ask that you give us the opportunity to give you the first fruits of everything that we do, everything that we say. And God, we ask that you move in our lives, that you move powerfully, that you and you alone be glorified in everything that happens, Lord. That we recognize it's not for us, Lord, it's not for our glory, but solely for yours. So, God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your son and his sacrifice on the cross. In your name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer, feel free to come forward for prayer. But now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory. Glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.